Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles tonight to Psalm 140. And we really are getting down to the last few. There's, uh, there's 150 psalms. The, the ones after, the, after what we do tonight are a little bit even shorter. And, um, and you'll see how, it, how the book ends in just a crescendo of praise. Uh, but we have to get there. So jumping into Psalm 140. 140 is the Psalm of David. And probably referring to one of the many times where Saul and his armies pursued David. You know, uh, David was, was constantly being pursued by Saul. And, um, and we've gone through those teachings in First and Second Samuel, so you've seen that. Um, just to get us a little context, I want to bring you to First Samuel 23 and just sort of give you an idea of what, what David's going through at this point in time. It says in verse 25, When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. This psalm, like I say, probably is making reference to one of those times. It has several moments of reflection and contemplation built into the psalm, as many of David's psalms do. And that's indicated by the word selah. So whenever we see that word, it, it tells the reader to pause and give additional thought and consideration to the passage that you just read. As we go through this psalm, we'll stop at each of those times, each of those selahs, just to consider what God wants us to take from the verses that went before that. So jumping in in verses 1 to 3, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. So here we just stop for a moment and contemplate what David is going through. He prays here to the Lord to deliver him from those who are pursuing him. And we can see even throughout history, not just in David's life, but for those who believe in God, how much they are persecuted throughout all of history and even today. Today we see it in a very violent way. Um, it, it may have been as violent back then, but today we have it splashed on our TVs and on the, our internet so we get to see, unfortunately, those, uh, the, uh, how the enemies of God's people come against them and persecute them. But David was also overwhelmed, and he was seeking the Lord for protection. So 
he prays for the Lord to do something about it. I, I love what David doesn't do here. He doesn't take revenge himself. And he sort of gives us a lesson, something we can learn from how David dealt with the persecution that he was going through. He, he gave it over to the Lord. Now, sometimes we just need to give those things over to God, those things that we can't handle on our own, the things that if we did handle, we would probably make matters worse. And so we need to be in prayer about that. God, you know, if you want to just take this from me, I'll, I'll hold back and I'll allow you to do that work, whatever you want to do. So David is showing us here that he's just going to the Lord. He's not, he's not taking vengeance himself. In verses 4 and 5, we see a description here of those who came against David. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah. So he describes those people coming against him as wicked, violent, and proud. You know, those who seek to silent God's people or to come against us will use any means at their disposal. They'll do it in any way possible to persecute us, to silence us. And so David here is saying, you know, they're wicked, they're violent, they're proud. You know, people who are puffed up and don't submit to God will come against uh, us who, who submit to God. You know, it's hard to submit in a world that everyone wants to take control. But as, as, God's, uh, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to submit to his lordship. He really needs to be the Lord of everything in our lives. Verses 6 through 8 says, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Selah. I love this part here because it really shows David's assurance that his relationship with the Lord was really personal and that God was concerned with his plight, with what David personally and individually was going through. He says there in verse 6, You are my God. David's showing his trust that God knows him and knows what he's going through. You are the strength of my salvation, he says. David may be weak. We may have times when we just feel like we're, our strength is totally sapped, but our strength is in God, and that's what David is saying here. He says, you've covered my head in the day of battle. He was David's protection from his enemies. You know, we can have that same testimony of what God is doing in our lives, that he's protected us from those who would come against us. And then in verses 9 through 11, As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they will not rise up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I like to see a little bit of a play on words here between the previous verses. You know, when David says, you have covered my head, you know, that protection that God has given him. And he says, 
here in verse 9, as for the head of those who surround me. So David is contrasting here how God will protect him, but the head of his enemies, God will deal with. He'll deal with them uh, righteously, and he will punish their evil ways. We also see David here using restraint and allowing God to take revenge on Saul, not to do it himself. Although David had several opportunities to kill Saul, he knew that God would be faithful to judge in his time. And I love the restraint that David used. In 1 Samuel 24, it tells of that account in verses 2 through 4. Then Saul took 300 chosen men from all, 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as seems good, good to you. Now it seems as though the Lord here is giving David permission to take vengeance on Saul. But watch what David does. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So think about the scene here where David had just, he had a clear path to take Saul out. But instead of doing that, he just cut off a piece of his robe just to sort of, it might have been even worse than killing him because it sort of showed Saul that I could have done this to you, but I have self-control, I have restraint, I trust that the Lord will avenge and that I don't have to do it. And so that was his way of showing um, showing Saul and, and also showing his men restraint in that case. So um, the last two verses of Psalm 140, no, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. So here David is just has the assurance that God is on the side of the oppressed. God is on the uh, side of the exploited of the ones that are persecuted, God is on their side. He's sort of, he's on the side of the underdog. You know, we know that, you know, there's so much going on in the world and, um, and God is on the side of those who are the downtrodden. Uh, Psalm 141, we continue here as David continues to pray for God's protection as well as his righteous punishment toward those who are wicked. It can probably be most associated with uh, 1 Samuel 24, and um, we see here how David makes reference here to, the, to those events, those historic events that took place, and we can, uh, we can sort of see the scene. In verses 1 and 2, it says, A psalm of David, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Desperate circumstances here, I consider, just reading those words, caused David to plead with the Lord in prayer. You can sense sort of the situation that David is in and that it's getting worse because of the words he uses. He says, I cry out. He's showing the seriousness of David's plea. I... He's praying for the Lord to make haste. 
You know how many times we pray, Lord, you know, uh, you know, answer quickly. And so David's prayer there, in, in, um, he's pleading with the Lord, give ear. He's saying, listen to me, God, listen to me, hear my prayer. And then he says, I set before you as incense and, and as this, the evening sacrifice, sort of enhancing his prayers, adding to his prayers with, with the, sort of the formality that they had in the sacrifices which were brought before the Lord. Now, our prayers don't have to be necessarily formal, but they should be in reverence and understanding his nature and his character, knowing how powerful he is, knowing how personal he is. And our prayers should reflect that. Verses 3 and 4, Set guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. David's prayer here now turns to a plea to remain holy. You know, how, how many times, you know, we, we find ourselves in difficult situations and, you know, there's those temptations that come in when, the, when, when we're weak, when we're desperate. So David here, he sort of recognizes that he's in a really tough spot and he, he's praying for the Lord to, to uh, keep him holy. In three ways, he's praying for in what he says and in what he's inclined to do or what he may give thought to do or may, what may be in his heart to do and then actually what he does. He understands his own human weakness and tendency towards sin and he's asking the Lord here to, to keep him from any evil thing. Matthew 6.13, part of that prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples, part of that was, and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus himself prayed that for us in John 17, 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's praying to the Father for his disciples and also for us. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So David is sort of just reflecting God's heart there, praying for the Lord to keep him holy, keep him away from evil things. Verses 5 and 6, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness, and let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. I like what David says here because... It gives us perspective um, in our prayers, too. He's saying here, the rebuke of another believer is better than falling into sin with an evil man. And sometimes we don't want to hear the rebuke of a fellow believer. Sometimes we, we, we kind of cringe when someone comes and says, you know, says to us something that, that they may see in our lives that, that needs to be addressed. But Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, this is one of, my most, one of my favorite verses in the Proverbs. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. David is saying the same thing here. I'd rather have 
I'd rather have the faithful wounds of a friend who's, who, will, who will be faithful to rebuke me when it's needed than the kisses of an enemy. And so it's perspective for us. Verses 7 through 10, our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. David's situation here, it it seems hopeless, but he realizes that God is his only way of escape. And I think for us, the lesson here is we need to keep our eyes focused on, on the Lord, no matter what we're going through, just to keep our eyes focused on him because he will provide that way out of the situation or through the situation for his glory, whatever he chooses, whatever his perfect will is for us. Psalm 142 um, expresses here prayer by David to God, asking him to minister to him in a time of persecution. We seem, seems to be like David at this point is going through some really difficult things. He refers to the cave, which is a place that we find David in often, whether in Gedi or Adullam. David seemed to take to the caves in, in Israel, hiding from those who were chasing him, hiding from his persecutors. And he also found refuge there and probably a place of solitude where he could go before the Lord undistracted. You know, as, uh, you know, just everything that was going on in the nation at the time, you know, he needed a place to just get away. You know, I think we can, we can relate to that too. Jesus called it a, uh, a secret place. As Christians, we call it our prayer closet. You know, some place that we know that we can go that we're undistracted. We're encouraged by Jesus to take our prayers to a place of seclusion. And I think with all the distractions in the world today, that's, that's very good counsel. Matthew 6.6 6, Jesus says, but, when you, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So that's sort of a counsel to us to do as David did, sort of get away from everything. Go into that place and, and just be alone with the Lord and let Him minister to you. So jumping in in Psalm 142, a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. So when we're in our prayer closet, when we're in that place of, of uh, solitude, we can speak freely to the Lord. We can even speak audibly to the Lord says here, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. That's not just in his mind. He's not just thinking his prayers. He's verbalizing his prayers. I mean, 
for us, think about verbalizing your prayers and how much that might impact you as you pray to the Lord. You know, to hear them back through your own ears. You know, going before the Lord. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, verse 3, then you knew my path. In the way which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. So here, David is, is, is distressed, no doubt, but he's also thanking the Lord for knowing when he was at his lowest. You know, even in our uh, most distressing times, we have to acknowledge that God knows, God sees. He knows the times when we're overwhelmed. And although we feel that no one cares, God always cares. That's why we need to continue to go to him. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. If we ever doubt that God cares for us, the scripture is, is filled with, with just encouragement that he cares for us. Verses 5 through 7, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. So we see here in these verses David expressing several different emotions. One of them, depression. You know, he's saying, I am brought very low. He says, for they are stronger than I, speaking of his enemies. And he's, and he's saying his soul is in prison. I'm just in bondage, Lord. And then, he's, and then he's also expressing prayer. Attend to my cry, he says. Deliver me. Bring my soul out of prison. Then he's expressing praise. And I love what he expresses praise for. He express, expresses praise for the fellowship of other believers. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than someone, than, a, than a, a Christian going through a difficult time and sort of secluding himself away. From, from the fellowship of other believers. And, and I think I've, we, we, can, we recognize that. We've seen that happen. And we may, may have succumbed to that ourselves at times. But I think it's very, very important that we need to seek out fellowship. So David here is saying, is saying the righteous shall surround me. You know, how, how comforting it is when other believers are around and, and those ones that you can confide in know what you're going through and will you know, we'll encourage you, pray for you, be there for you. We never want to go through anything alone. You know, even though God is always there, just the fellowship of other people is important. Uh, Psalm 143 uh, continues these, this same train of thought that David has in these previous psalms. And it's also recognized in traditional church history as the last of the seven penitential psalms. Penitential psalms are psalms that express repentance and seek forgiveness for sins. 
Probably the most famous in the Psalms is Psalm 51, but the other ones are Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 102, and Psalm 130, all considered penitential psalms in church history. We see here here in uh, Psalm 143, David pleading with the Lord in prayer. And I love what he does here too. He refers to himself in the same way that God refers to him. And if you sort of flip that around, God refers to him as he is expressing himself to God. It says in... um, it says in 2 Samuel 7, 5, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, will you build a house for me to dwell in? So David is referred to as a servant of God. You know, we should be referred to as a servant of God. Someone who is just sold out, just serving him, serving his people. And so you'll see here that David refers to himself in the same way. Jumping into 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. A psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. So here David is praying for the Lord's mercy. He understands that No one can stand before the Lord in his own righteousness. David wrote in an earlier psalm, in Psalm 14, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. And then in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul confirming that in Romans 3 in verse 10 he says as it is written there is none righteous no not one and then in verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so if we recognize that as David did if we understand that no one can stand before God in his own righteousness then we have to admit that we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ That's the only way that we can stand before a holy God. In faith, Jesus imputes that righteousness to those who put their faith and trust in Him. In in Romans 4, 22-24, Paul writes, speaking of Abraham, and therefore it was accounted to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So just as Abraham, showing faith in God, received that righteousness of Jesus Christ thousands of years before he was was born into this earth, we receive that same righteousness. It's imputed to those who believe. I love how Paul sort of clarifies that. It wasn't just for Abraham. It's for, it was for anyone who would believe in Jesus. In Psalm 143, verses 3 through 6, For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness. Like those who have long been dead, 
Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Selah. David here is feeling the oppression from his enemies as well as shame for his own sin. You know, we, we should be able to relate. Unfortunately, we probably can because we, there's sin in our lives, but we should feel shame. We should feel distressed at our sin. It should, it should make us feel the, the, the shame that we want to turn it around that we want to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. But, he, but David did turn to the Lord. He recognized that he is the only one who can forgive. And he seeks refreshment. David is just seeking refreshment for that dry time that he's having in his life. And that's what forgiveness does. It sort of gives satisfaction for the thirst that we would have for a reconciliation with God. That's what forgiveness does to, for us. It satisfies that in our lives. Verses 7 through 12. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you I do, tr- do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant." Amen. David uses here several words, several phrases to describe what he's asking for the Lord. Notice how he does it. He says, answer me speedily. We saw that in the other, in the other psalm. Crying out for quick relief from his troubles. Cause me. I love these two, two phrases here. He's saying to the Lord, do in me those things that I can't do in myself. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. I need you to do that in me, God. I can't do that in myself. You know, think about going to bed at night, going to sleep distressed about some some problem that you're having and then, you know, God answering it in the morning. That's what the psalmist here is, is saying. Just allow me to to hear your loving kindness. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. We need God to show us the way. We need Him to light, to be that light unto our path that the Bible says the, the Word of God is. Because we can't do it on our own. We don't know how to walk in a way that really pleases Him. We need Him to show us. Then He prays, deliver me. Then He prays, teach me to do Your will. Again, God, we need You to teach us to be doers of the Word not just hearers of the word. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. God needs to 
Teach us how to do that. Then David continues, lead me. That's the same as teach me. It it means, God, I need you to go before me. I need you to clear the path. I need you to show me the way. And then revive me. Bring me out of my stupor. You know, just bring me out of my, my, my laziness, God. Cause me to just live abundantly for you. In Romans 13, 11, Paul writes, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Isn't that true? Awake out of our sleep. David closes the psalm the, way, the, the same way he opened it, referring to himself as a servant of God. He says, for I am your servant. Uh, psalm 144, I think we'll have time to go through it. Psalm 144 is a song. It's a song of gratitude for God, uh, to God for his strength and his protection, especially in battle. As king, David certainly experienced his times of war between Israel and the surrounding nations. But David also could be thinking of those private, personal battles that the Lord took him through. We can relate to David no matter which way we look at it. Maybe some of us may have seen a battlefield, been part of that experience. But we certainly will all experience struggles in our lives, battles sort of personally in our lives that we need the Lord to just strengthen us through. Especially at those times that we're going through something difficult, this psalm can be very reassuring. It's also fitting that this psalm comes at this point because we've seen the, one, the, the psalms that we studied tonight sort of, uh, we saw David's just... Um, dejection and, his, and his, uh, his struggle and his crying out to the Lord. And then the Psalms that come after this to the end of the book are praise, thanksgiving, just rejoicing in the Lord. So this is sort of a transitional Psalm from the prayers and supplication before and then at the end it turns over to praise and thanksgiving and sort of enters us in to the ending of the Psalms the next time we get together. So um, Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2, a Psalm of David. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. So we see here David is just praising God for all He is, all of the attributes that we see Him recognizing in the Lord. This psalm can be related to uh, probably an event in 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 3 says, Then David spoke to the Lord all the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock, and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, the shield and the horn of my salvation, 
my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. So we see some of those same words David um, used then and, and he's using here in this psalm, those attributes of God as his Lord, his rock, his teacher, when it says, train, you train me, Lord. Uh, God's loving kindness, that God is his fortress, his high tower and his deliverer, that he's his shield against the enemy, that he's the refuge in times of trouble, and that he subdues those who go against him. And so we love the way David just has all of these attributes of God in these two verses. And then he thinks, I think David must have been writing this down and seeing all the awesome attributes of God and then, and then wondering in these next two verses. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. He says the same thing back in Psalm 8. Ask the same question. It must have still amazed David that the creator of the universe, the one who, who inhabits all of these attributes that he spoke of before, would even consider a man like David or like us. We can certainly understand recognizing God's majesty, recognizing his holiness, and we can maybe question that it's his love. It's his love that uh, causes him to even consider us. Verses 5 through 8, bow, your, bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. David acknowledging God's authority and his power, and he prays for God to use that awesome power against his enemies. And he finally, I think, came to realize the answer to verse 3, Lord, what is man that you would take knowledge of him? You see, why would God not act on our behalf if he considers us his prize of creation and he does you know he's personal the next section of this psalm sort of is the transitional part where we see it taking us from David's prayers on to praise I will sing a new song to you O God on a harp of ten strings I will sing praises to you the one who gives salvation to kings who delivers David his servant from the deadly sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the, from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and on whose right hand is falsehood. David here is asking the Lord to allow him to express sort of a fresh adoration to God. And I think it's uh, a lesson for us too to always look for new ways to praise the Lord and to thank Him for what He's doing. If you take it in the context of, of music, you know, He says here, I will sing a new song to you. On the harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. A new song. 
David is asking for. In, in the context of music, it would be like us singing a new song as a worship team. And I've had discussions with people about, about music in the church and, and you know, uh, their opinion that maybe the older hymns are more reverent, are more you know, beautiful, are more expressive, are you know, more pleasing to God. My opinion, this is an opinion alert, I, I think God continues to inspire people to write a new song for Him. I don't really believe that the established songs of the 18th and 19th century that we find in our traditional hymnals are the only songs that God has inspired people to write. I believe that God continues to give inspiration to men and women, women throughout all human history to sing a new song to Him. So there's, there's nothing wrong with the, with the traditional hymns, but there's certainly something to be said for, for what God is doing in, in the new worship leaders and, and the, the new songwriters to, to just inspire them uh, to write a new song for Him. And then we see the blessings here that David is, is praying the Lord to the Lord for, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there, may be, that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets, Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Where is that state? I don't think it's New Jersey. <laughs> David prays these various blessings that the Lord will, would bestow upon him. That his children would be blessed. We, know we, we, we certainly pray that, that our children are blessed and that they become productive members of society. You know, men and women, you know, that will grow in the ways of the Lord and be useful, not only in, the, in society as a whole, but in the home as well. Verse 13, you know, he prays that, that he will have no want, no need for anything. And I think that becomes a challenge for us in today's society, especially because a lot of times we pray for things we want as opposed to things we need, you know, and then we wonder why we haven't gotten everything that we've been praying for. But God will supply all of your needs, it says in the scriptures, not all of your wants. So just think about how you pray for those things. So David here is, is just praying for you know, all of his needs to be met. And then he prays for there to be harmony and peace in our neighborhood, neighborhoods. You know, how, we all want that. We all want to live in in peace and harmony and, and um, you know, not to have any, any troubles. I, you know, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, what we've been seeing on, on TV and in the news for the last few days about the, un, up, the unrest in Baltimore. And, and it struck me when I'm reading these verses that there be no outcry in our streets, that there be no breaking in or going out. It's amazing that this verse sort of just brings to mind those things. I'll just leave you with this. 
Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on the Psalms, puts it this way, and I think this is interesting because this is written in the late 1800s and how sort of contemporary it is given the state of affairs in the world today. He says that there be no breaking in or going out, no eruption of marauders and no forced emigration, no burglaries and no evictions, that there be no complaining in our streets, no secret dissatisfaction, no public riot, no fainting of poverty, no clamor for rights denied, nor concerning wrongs unredressed. The state of things here pictured is very delightful. All is peaceful and prosperous. Boy, he puts it in a way that just, it just brings to mind everything that's going on in the world today. And that should be our prayer. That could be our prayer to God. That, you know, that because He is our Lord, that He would do those things in our lives. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.